0: You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. First Samuel, Part Three, Take Seven Hundred. Hey all Michael here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning or afternoon or evening or whenever you're listening to this. A little bit of a different environment, different background, uh, but it's the same truth, the same word, and the same church. And so here we go. Uh, I'm going to jump into 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'm going to start by reading verses 11 through 26. This will be our focal passage for the day. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came here or came there. Moreover, there, uh, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept the boiled meat from you, but only raw meat. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish. He would say, no, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it. To him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice, then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, "May the Lord give you children by this woman, for the portion for the petition she asked of the Lord." So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old. And he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear from the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord who can intercede for him but they would not listen to the voice of their father for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death now the young man samuel continued now the young man samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the lord and also with man here's the thing leaders build culture And because that's true, the ideal leader must go beyond simply doing things, uh, even beyond doing right things, and they must be the right person doing the right things. But that leads to some questions like, what are the right things and who is the right person? Well, that probably depends on some things like, uh, what is the aim or the purpose or the the mission of the team or the club or the organization or the company or whatever. Uh, so what's the purpose or what's the mission and then what drives, what values drive that means to accomplish those ends. You have all been, or you have seen leaders build culture. If you've ever been a student at school or a, a child in a home, uh, you see a, a principal, and, and if the kids can do whatever they want, or the classroom gets out of hand because the teacher has a culture where they don't have any respect, or in a home similarly, um, or maybe you've seen a coach or a, a sensei that would want to win at all costs, and so they would say, you know, sweep the leg. Uh, or on the other side of that, you have someone that says, hey, we're going to do right things. We're going to we're going to lead out of our conviction to do what's right, and then maybe we'll let the results. Fall where they may. Uh, a military leader uh, will probably have a different aim and a different means than, say, a volleyball coach, uh, or, or than than a, a cupcake company, or than a you know Dungeons and Dragons club, or or probably a different aim and a different means than a food pantry. And and all those differ from one another, and they they probably differ from the church. See, God's people have a particular mission in a particular way to carry out that mission. Now, all of this can be a bit overwhelming uh, for you if you're hearing me talk about leaders and leading and leadership, but really you're just shrinking back into your couch or chair or car seat or whatever you're in right now um, because you're embracing your reality and your role to simply not lead anything. Or on the flip side of that, Maybe you hear me talking about the stuff and you get excited because you're you you know you're leaning in because you know that your name is on a door somewhere, or you have a, uh, the word foreman or manager next to your name, or you have some letters by your name that give you some credibility in whatever work environment that you uh, live or operate in. Well, to kind of meet us in the middle of that, here's a couple things that I, I just want to start off with like maybe a leadership preface, right? The first thing is this, Um, you can be a leader without a title, right? Um, You need to have influence and and you need to have people that follow in some way, shape or form, otherwise you're not leading anything, Uh, but you can be a leader and many of you are leaders without the title that goes along with that. And then the flip is true, just because you have a title doesn't make you a leader. If no one respects you, if no one cares about what you're doing, if no one's following you, then, then you're not a leader. It doesn't matter what's next to your name, right? It doesn't matter what office you have or or what role you have on the job site or whatever. Uh, and then the third thing is, is this, that everyone is a leader in some measure, right? So if you're, if you're hearing yourself say, yeah, but I'm not a leader, stop, because you're you're leading maybe yourself. You should be. You're leading maybe your family or something in your neighborhood. Um, you're leading. Uh, yeah, if you work or or if you you know, manage your home, all that stuff is leadership. Uh, even friend groups and the way that you influence. There, there's lots of ways to define leadership. Um, I would say it's it's influence, uh, influencing others to move to a particular goal. That's one thing, right? Uh, influence is the key, good or bad. Whether it's agreed upon authority or you're just a, a subtle motivator, uh, leaders build culture. Uh, one de- one definition I read was was a leader is one with vision and a path to realize that vision, which I think is a good, that's a good definition. Uh, and then we have to define culture. What do I mean when I say leaders build culture? Well, there's like the fundamental vibe the felt experience, the, the kind of neutral ground for what's acceptable within an environment, within a community. Uh, and there are formal systems and structures that help. They have to help uh, build that culture. But the culture is is what's going to be viewed as kind of normal practice or the normal experience of those that are part of, again, that team, organization, club, whatever. Now, for God's community specifically, Um, whether that's in the Old Testament, it was uh, patriarchal families, tribes, united tribes uh, under Israel, united under a king, or whether it's the church that we live in today as God's people, it really matters who leads because it really matters what type of culture God's people live out. It It matters because of our experience as God's people uh, to God and to one another and it matters because of our experience as God's people to the world around us. like we know that the way that the world sees the church living and breathing and loving and interacting or, or hating or any of those things it's a reflection of the God that we serve right so those things really matter. so so today we're looking at first Samuel chapter 2, the third sermon in this series. Kingdom come, but not quite yet, right? For now we only see an interaction of some incompetent leadership of God's people, and we see these kind of spatterings of 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 contrast by a child who sets the course for a kingdom to come. Today we learn a bit about godly leadership by seeing godless. Leaders, Right. And so the first point today is this uh, godly leaders must know God. Godly leaders must know God. Verse uh, 12, it says, uh, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. That's significant because if you remember Hannah, she contrasted that when Eli came to her, she was praying and she says, I'm not a worthless woman. Uh, but these sons of Eli, the priest, they are worthless men. And it says they did not know the Lord. They did not know him. Uh, the word can mean respect. And so they did not know the Lord, yet godly leaders must know God. These guys aren't the priest. Eli is. But they have influence. And they are serving and they are leading around the temple as as part of the priestly family. They are representing uh, certainly the family of the priesthood and they are representing the Lord to the people um, as as servants and leaders within the priesthood at Shiloh yet they do not know God I mean I mean what's the problem right what could go wrong what's the big deal to lead in any significant way certainly representing the word and the way of God one needs and above all one must, know God. And not not merely know about him, but know him. Now what's interesting, the, the New Testament, it sets up qualifications of both the being and the doing for the leaders within the local church. And I just want to read this because I think it's important. I'm going to read in the CSB, it's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. So hang on. If you don't know this, this is this is one of the, the couple passages that, that set up elders and deacons, and so uh, yeah, I just want I just want you to see what what God uh, kind of sets out as qualifications for His leadership within the church. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to to be an overseer, that's also the word for elder, or sometimes pastor, or even sometimes bishop, which we obviously don't use that word much. Uh, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker. It's coffee in here. Not a bully, but gentle not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. Why? If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? The Puritans called the the family the, the little church for this reason. He must not be a new convert Uh, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Deacons, well, they have qualifications as well. Uh, They should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. They also must be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, or sometimes that word is translated women, kind of a big deal, right? We have women deacons. Uh, we can talk about that at another time. But, but wives or women, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slander, self-controlled, faithful and everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife. I know uh, one person says that one woman man, right? Uh, managing their children and their own households competently, for those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves, and great boldness in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. Now, maybe we contrast that to the sons of Eli, and we just see what God's qualifications are. Certainly, this is in the New Testament, uh, but His character hasn't changed, right? So, there's a, there's a lot there, and and significantly, these qualifications include both being and doing, uh, one can't live that way. One can't lead God's people without knowing God. We, we get to know who he is and live in light of his character and certainly his qualifications in the way of his kingdom. These deuce are merely taking advantage of opportunities the family of God has awarded them, and they serve for selfish gain. Right. See, it doesn't matter if you're a king or a priest or an elder or a deacon or a member or, or you're just gathering together with the church. The reason it matters is because those who, who uh, lead, whatever the measure, build culture. They multiply themselves. Like these bros, the sons of Eli, they don't know God, so, so what do we get to do? In light of this, like whether you have a title or not, whether you lead others or only yourself, if you are in Christ, then these characteristics are for you and they are for the nature of this king and this kingdom. They're certainly to be modeled by leaders because leaders build culture. Culture is, as they say, king-ish. So what do we get to do? We get to one. We get to know God, right? Well, how do we do that? Uh, obviously, we search inside of ourselves. We we trust our feelings. We, as we've been talking about, we follow our heart. We listen to the the loud voice of the world. We hitch our wagon to the teachings of man. No, no, we don't do any of those things. We we nestle close to the Word of God. That is how we know Him. We spend time in His Word. We spend time in prayer. When I was a kid, man, I, you can ask my mom about this. I I never didn't have a soccer ball at my feet, right? It was always connected. It was a part of who we go to the store. I'm in the back of the car, you know, uh, messing with the soccer ball, Uh, walking around the house, going to the room, going uh, down the hallway, kicking it off the couch, turning, um, doing step overs, kicking it against the chair, doing step, like juggling uh, that's uh, I go outside. That's what I'm doing. Like, and so I, I feel pretty comfortable with the soccer ball because of that. We get to treat the Bible the same way. Right. Um, and, and we get to process what we discover in community and others. we get to gather with the church, sit under the word, gather in community group process, be shaped by those around us. And, and if we do that through the course of life, you will know God. It won't happen by accident. Um, but, and, and some of you, you, you need to lean into God's word to know him by saying just what is here, right? What is it that, that I'm being asked to believe as a Christian? And some of you, you, you kind of know the basics and you say, man, I need to sort, I need to land on some like key doctrines in my life that I'm just unsure of. And some of you might just say, uh, man, I need to, to know God and his word so that I know how to obey him. All those things are true, right? The second thing is we get to trust God. Right? Not only know him, but we get to begin to conform our life to who he is. We get to, as I say all the time, we get to know, trust, and treasure the fullness of God above everything else. That means that we get to delight in him and we get to obey him as the fullness of life. In the places that you are tempted to live kind of counter to the word or against his word, you're falling for the oldest uh, trick in the book, the oldest sin of all, and that's that God is holding back from you the fullness of life, right? If you think, if, if you see the word and you say, I should live this way, and then you decide that you should, that, that you're going to live another way, what you're saying is, if I obey God, that's, that's a lesser form of life. It's a lesser version of life right and 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 you're falling from the oldest lies, that, that God is holding back from you, but in reality, the way of God is the fullest version of life, right? So we get to, we get to know God, we get to trust God. Third, as a church community like we are, we get to train and assess that's that's actually really important. That's not just for the corporate world, right? We have a culture here at the village where where we, uh, set the mark according to scripture. We look at four things for for leaders. We say we want them to be gospel-formed. And that's different than just doing right things. We want them to do right things for right reasons. Right? We want them to be gospel-formed. We want them to be servants. We want them to be leaders. And we want them to have active ownership within the village. And that's true for leaders, for elders, for deacons, for members. That's true for anybody. That's what we want. And And we talk about this paradigm that kind of goes from Maybe some are acquainted with the ways of God and with the church. Uh, Some are connected to God and to his people. And the goal is that that we would be people committed to the Lord and to his church. Uh, The reason why we have next steps, and we talk about those whenever we gather. The reason why we have membership. The reason why we have deacons and, and elders and elders. Uh, uh, have assessments and, and all those things. We, we assess. We, we do staff assessments. I just did some of those uh, in the last couple of weeks. I get assessed. We do those things so that we can identify weaknesses in our own lives and so that we can grow. We can be encouraged in our strengths. We can be built up together. And I'll just tell you this. It is so much easier not to do those things, right, for time's sake. And like, man, sometimes they bring about difficult conversations but we do those because that is the way of us uh, holding to the, the biblical qualifications for what it looks like to follow Jesus together. And the last thing we get to teach. We get to teach the way of God, right? Um, the, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us, right? And and what that means is, is that you are part of this. You, you are part of this leadership culture where we get to, to know the Lord, right? Uh, that's happening here. That happens in groups. When, when groups together open the Bible and, and someone leads that uh, that community group um, in the Word, but each of you are also a huge part of that. Like I've said before, if if someone came into the village puffed up in pride and spewing heresy, I, I, I think That that you all are mature enough, by and large, where those you know like unbiblical ideas would be snuffed long before they made their way to my office door, and I just love that so much, and that's because we have a culture that that teaches the Word and is conformed to the Word of God. So if you are or you desire to to lead your life or lead others in any way regarding the church and the kingdom, don't begin by reading all the books on leadership. Begin by knowing God in the way that we just discussed. The second thing is godly leaders live the way of God, right? Uh, Let's jump in here. Verse 13, the custom of the priest was uh, with the people that when the main offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come and he and would stick a fork in that. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll summarize what's happening here. Essentially, in Deuteronomy, uh, they kind of spelled out the practice of what was supposed to happen. And and the priest, the priest's family did eat. They did live off of the contribution from the sacrifice so the factor, the sacrifice, uh, the short version is, is the Lord would get the fat portioned, right? And so they would burn that to the Lord as a sacrifice to the Lord, and then uh, the priests would get some of the portions, and then, um, and and then even families of those that are sacrificing would get a remainder of that as well. The gist of what's happening here is they were adding to this whole three pronged fork, that, you know, thing. That that's something that they had added to. And so essentially they're cheating God of his sacrifice. They're cheating the people of their sacrifice. They're demanding way more than that that was prescribed to be allotted to them. Um, One commentator says it this way. It says, worship is a farce at Shiloh. This was Dale Davis in in Focus on the Bible commentary. Uh, The priestly families fed from the offerings. These guys were demanding more than was allotted to them. They were robbing the people of God, and they were robbing God by taking the fat of the sacrifice set apart for God. The conscience of the people spoke up here, um, and they said, hey, that's not right, but they didn't seem to have enough power to make change. And so God has the power to do that, but they did not. And, And God doesn't like uh, his people being misled. He doesn't like being thieved. He doesn't like his people being robbed. Um, he goes on in the commentary, says, yet there was more rotten in Shiloh. There was a moral offense. Everyone in Israel knew about it. Hophni and Phinehas had sex with the women who attended the place of worship. Like, this is not good. Right? Like I said before, what could go wrong if the people who are representing God to his people, charged with leading God's people, caring for them, serving them, knowing them, protecting them, if, if those people, they didn't know God, so they begin to cheat, live selfishly, domineer, pursue, and, and have sex with women who were coming to the tabernacle to worship God? Now, if that sounds insane to you, one... I'm glad. That should sound insane to you. And two, what a relief that leaders in the church today no longer exploit God's people by powering up, by taking advantage of their sacrifice, by taking more than they give, and, and and caving morally by using positions of power for sex outside of God's design within marriage between one man and one woman for as long as they live I'm I'm being sarcastic see using some jacked up power dynamic to have their way with women who are trying to worship God dear dear God that's what was happening then and and certainly that's what happens now sometimes, right? It is possible that you are aware of every scandal, every firing, every cover-up in every church, every denomination across uh, the planet. Maybe you follow all the right or all of the wrong X accounts. You follow all the watchdog blogs. Maybe you've even disconnected from the church. If not God Himself, because of all the people that you're aware of who walk in the way of the sons of Eli, and if I could be honest with you, um, I'm I'm frustrated. Uh, I'm sick of seeing, and I'm sick of posting on our elders' chat channels about the next Christian leader to fall. Uh, it's 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 frustrating. Um, And there's a lot said about all of that. We could talk about that for hours. Is it new? Obviously, it's not new because this was happening a thousand years before Jesus came, which was two thousand years ago from where we sit right now. Um, Jackie O'Perry, she said in a a video that Kim shot to me this past week. And, um, you know, basically she said, well, why do we love to watch others fall? Even other other Christian leaders falling. And she's like, I, I think we love it when others are jacked up. Like it maybe makes us feel better about ourselves. But at the end of the day, what does it reveal about God for us to do that? What does it reveal about God's people? What does it reveal about us for us to enjoy watching people fall? In gospel eldership, this is something that we're going through right now uh, developing some, some guys around that, the character and competency and compatibility among leadership within the church. Recently we looked at Psalm 78, 72 and it's essentially talking about David and it says, "With integrity of heart, he shepherded them with his skillful hand. This integrity of heart is it's it comes from being devoted to God above all. And and from a place that knows the Lord in Christ for us, this means that we have we have nothing to prove. Right? We can live in a way that that, that is described as having integrity of heart when we are free to serve. We don't have to prove anything when we are free to lead justly, humbly, we're free to say hard words when necessary uh, to, to protect the flock, to purify the church, and, and we're free to, to love purely, that, that means that we have a gospel-formed culture. Integrity of heart. But he also leads with skillful hands, right? And that means that church culture... Uh, there's a church culture where where gifts are identified through serving and and leaders lead within their gifts and servants serve from a pure heart and and safely where they can explore and, and hone and grow in their skill that leads to multiplying the glory of God and ultimately making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. See, leadership in the kingdom of God from the highest level of leadership to, uh, to the lowest level of servanthood, it flows from gospel-formed character. It flows from spirit-contoured actions, integrity of heart mixed with skillful hand, character and competence. Uh, it's being the part and it's doing the part. Whatever the part is for God's glory, so that we might build up and equip the people of God. Why? Why do leaders get to live that way? Because God cares. And his people uh, who, who lead on his behalf get to reflect the nature of God to the people of God. You, if you're part of the village church, right, or, or the church, uh, wherever you are, you are part of the culture of godliness, no matter what you lead, right? No matter where you serve. Uh, next week, by God's grace, uh, if we're back into the 210, we'll baptize new folks into the kingdom, into this church community. Um, the life that you live on Sunday and, and between Sundays is a huge part of leading those new believers uh, to know, to trust, and to treasure the fullness of God above all. On Sunday night, just a couple days ago, we had Village Gate. And, and each of those people that showed up there, some of them newly connected, some have been around the village for a while. But each of you, wherever you find yourself as part of this community, are the culture that they will see as normal and as the visible expression of, of the kingdom of god like that's how impactful each of us are together uh, as the village and as the kingdom for those who are in christ it matters how we live for those leading it matters how we serve it matters how we lead and it matters how we live now it's easy to be critical it's, it's easy to look at the sons of Eli or, or the recent or the next pastor that sleeps with his secretary. Uh, it's easy to be critical of those people um, and, and judgmental. And man, there's some uh, some light that gets to be shown in those places, right? But but the way of the kingdom isn't merely judgment, but it's, it's warning. We get to look at those terrible examples and we get to understand that that each of those are God's grace to us as a warning that that you and me, that we too are susceptible to fall into temptation, to be caught in traps, to be lured by our enemy, or, or even to use the things of God to build ourselves up and to actually work against God himself. All right? Uh, again, in Gospel Eldership by Bob Thune, um, he, he talks about three things that we can do to guard our hearts. And I just want to hit on these really quickly. Um, we can cultivate personal intimacy with God, right? Uh, the, the greatest temptation of leadership is to exalt doing over being. So the way that we fight against that is is that we get to cultivate our intimacy with the Lord apart from anything that we do. The second thing he says in that book is we get to mortify sin resolutely and relentlessly. Right? Uh, it says in there, pride brings with itself in a careless disposition towards sin, but humility brings with it a wary watchfulness. Right? Uh, And then the third thing we can do to fight against those temptations in us is to create honest community. You've probably heard it uh, 10,000 times that, you know, leadership is lonely, and that can be true, right? And and certainly there's an element of truth to that. Um, But because of the dangers posed by, uh, this is a a quote, uh, leadership is lonely because of the dangers posed by needy, divisive, or power-hungry people, spiritual leaders can easily isolate themselves from true community. I just think that's funny. It's not funny. But, um, but, but because it's hard, because leading is hard, and people sometimes are, are hard to deal with, right? And so it can, it can cause us to just retreat back and say, gosh, I don't even want to be a part of that, right? But if you are part of a healthy community group here at the village or, or community in general, you, just by doing that, are actively fighting against and helping others fight against uh, that temptation of isolation, and ultimately you're helping them fight against sin. Which leads us to the last thing. Godly leaders, only hope is God. Godly leaders, only hope is God. Um, W.G. Blakey says, that they were so hardened that repentance became impossible. And he's talking of the sons of Eli. I a read in verse 22. He says, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear from the people of the Lord spreading ahead uh, spreading abroad, I'm sorry, if someone sins against man, God will mediate for him, but if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. That is tough, right? So again, they were so hardened that repentance became impossible. Now there's this wild tension that we see throughout the scriptures um, where hearts are hardened and uh, they're, they're hardened against the Lord and we see that the Lord hardens hearts. That's the play that's happening here. It is common, depending on your theological camp, to take a strong stand on what any of this means uh, on one side or the other. You you might say, essentially, uh, God hardens hearts so that they cannot believe, uh, deal with it, sinner, right? Maybe you've heard something like that before. Or on the other side, you might say, God is always ready to receive the, the contrite, humble repentance of a sinner who turns to him. But, man, some are just really, really... Bad And some are just really, really hardened. So that's kind of the two ditches you have there. Pharaoh in Exodus, uh, he's the primary case because the writer that we read about in Exodus, he kind of waffles back and forth um, between uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. We see it goes back and forth several times. The end game is a hard heart and, and God's plans and God's people march on out of Egypt. Now, what was the exact cause of that? Uh, Well, it depends, but it seems like a reasonable conclusion that, uh, that God is working alongside the will of humankind to carry out eternal purposes for the good of his people through perfect justice and perfect good right? God working alongside the will of humankind to carry out eternal purposes for the good of his people through perfect justice and perfect good. Now, you may be, again, leaning in for me to clean that up, and and I'm not going to do that. Here, Eli's sons use the tabernacle of God to worship themselves. That's not a good place. You don't get there uh, slowly or by accident but you are hardened if you're doing that their 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 sin is gross but but hear me so is mine so is yours so is ours so the emphasis is they do not repent to the point to, to the point to where their hearts become so callous um, that, that they cannot repent and because God cares for his people that they're taking advantage of he cares for his worship and in his glory he won't stand for it and yet sprinkled into this passage there's a subtle light flickering right there there the, the context of of the beginning of first samuel is that these are dark times it's actually kind of a, a literary light more than uh, than a, a light of description it's the way that it's told more than actually what's told here in these passages. It doesn't tell us anything per se, but it lays some contrast that helps the reader kind of, again, lean in because it feels like there could be some hope around the corner. And so you see this, this narrative telling of uh, the incompetent leadership of—I of, mean, and Eli seems like a good dude, but like he—he he, he clearly doesn't have the influence that he needs um, over his own family, over his own kids. He's old in age here, but but we then we see the sons of Eli just being wicked, um, and then we see these like these, these little uh, these little threads woven in where we flash to to young Samuel. And again, it seems like not only months, but years, like in these just little snippets, we're, we're following along years. Samuel, he stayed back and he served the Lord. And year after year, as his mom came to worship at Shiloh, she would bring uh, him little costumes that looked like the same robes that the priest would wear. And they had you know, the gems on their vest representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And so she was. She was mindful that she had given him to the Lord, and she did everything that she did uh, so that he might be built up, and, and the Lord was surely at work. And then we see this line. You know, he's dressed in the robes, he's without corruption, and then we see that he grew up in the Lord. And like the language there is, is, is the same way that Jesus is described in the Gospels. All right? Against the backdrop of darkness, God was actively at work in a boy, Samuel. And his mom knew his worth. His mom knew his value. But even she wasn't aware of the light that would shine through the line of ministry of her son. She didn't forsake him when she dropped him off at the temple. But she continued doing her part to invest in God's mission through the gift that she had been given. And the gift that she had given back to the Lord. Here we learn about godly leadership by looking at godless leadership, right? Uh, and, and you can get comfortable there, because that's the way that it's going to be uh, f- for a long time as we look through uh, 1 Samuel. But but on the horizon was a king. On the horizon was a kingdom after the Lord's heart. And, and well beyond these earthly kings and their success and their fa- their failures that we're going to see in, in, in the Samuels and in the books of kings. There was a leader who served. And there was a leader who led. And he was conformed to the character of God because he was God. And his name is, is Jesus. And it's subtle in these scenes. And it may seem impossible in, in the scenes of, of your social media yesterday and tomorrow. But there is hope of a leader who came to bring a kingdom where the leader is righteous and and where his judgments are good and, and and, and, and his provision and his protection and his care are for his people. This kingdom comes not through elected officials, not through a democratic vote, not through an earthly monarchy, but it has already come in the person, in God, in Jesus. Those who lead, God's people, must lead, conformed to the character of God. Uh, I want to close out with a quote. <clears throat> it goes like this. Uh, this is from Alexander Struck, a biblical eldership. And so he's talking to elders, but I think it's true for, for any of us. He says, the price one is willing to pay for an object demonstrates its value. For the church, God gave his only son as a sin-bearing sacrifice. The son bled and died for the church. How could God have paid more for his church? He has paid an incalculable price. How God must love the church. How much it must mean to him when his chosen elders or leaders earnestly care for his blood bought children. He goes on, he says, Richard Baxter dramatically captures this. He says it this way Can you not hear Christ saying, Did I die for these people? And will you then refuse to look after them? I have in mind all of the one another passages as well. Were they worth my blood? And are they not worth your labor? Did I come down from heaven to seek and to save that which was lost, and will you refuse to go next door, or to the next street, or to the next village to seek them? How small is your labor or your condescension compared to mine? I debased myself to do this, but it is your honor to be so employed. Have I done and suffered so much for their salvation? And will you refuse that little that lies upon your hands? Every time I look out upon our congregations, let us believingly remember that they are purchased by Christ's blood and that, therefore, they should be highly regarded by us. You may be an elder. You may be a deacon. You may be a leader within the church in some way. You may be an influencer of many, and you may not be our hope is the same regardless our aim is the same regardless whether we lead or we follow we follow christ first and to do that we must know him we must live his way and and we must find our only hope in him alone i hope this finds you well and i hope this You know, I hope that we will get to gather in person soon enough. Uh, If you aren't connected with us or you're not actually sure, you can check out myvillagechurch.com for updates about kind of what's going on. Uh, And also uh, you can check out myvillagechurch.com backslash next steps uh, to get information from us so that we can uh, connect with you. There's uh, access to an app called Church Center, um, and that is available on the App Store and Google Play that will help you Uh, Get connected with us and receive the updates that you need. Man, I hope this finds you well. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for us. God bless.